0: Twelve minutes are up. Do we have to separate you two, Chris and Ransel? Separate sides of the room? Probably. All right. Volume all right, Sam? It seems low to me, but I don't know if that's... Does it seem low? Good? All right. So, Abby, what page are we on tonight? All right. Get the page number. Uh, find your way in your Bible to Acts chapter eight. Chapter eight. Right after uh, Stephen got killed in chapter seven. Okay. What's the page number? One thousand four hundred twenty-one. Fourteen twenty-one. I'll get there. We must have the same Bible. We do. Sometimes I have more than one Bible, though. Don't you? All right. Acts chapter 8. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the spirit. And here we are tonight to ask you to teach us all things and make us more and more like Jesus. That that we who follow you can walk just as you walked. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit into daily life. Lord, keep us from from just doing what we do and that we would turn aside to follow after you. That in the rest of our days, from tonight forward, you, Father, would be well pleased and your Spirit would lead us and that, Jesus, you could make us more and more like you. And this we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You're locking them in. Trying to? Is Chris running around in circles back there? He will be, all right. We need a security camera for the back room so we can see what Chris is doing back there. Oh, you do? I like how you think. All right. All right, in Acts chapter 8, as we pick up tonight, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death uh Saul right Saul of Tarsus later on the apostle Paul and we we were introduced to to him just a few verses earlier that not only was was Saul consenting unto his death when you study the history of how the Jews at that time when they did a stoning now i'm just going to give you my thoughts uh on this that things that i think about uh in regard to this they could kill Stephen with stones, but they could not kill Jesus with stones. You remember the whole thing, the way that they arrested Jesus, and why he ends up before Pontius Pilate is because the Jews would not stone Jesus. Under the law, that's how you would kill someone. The accusation upon Jesus was that he had blasphemed. That Under the Jewish law, you stone him. Now, you want to know why? I want to know why. Well, it's because the Bible prophesied in... David, in Psalm 22, that, that the prophecy of the Messiah, that he would be crucified. His hands and feet would be pierced. So we find that after Jesus, one who followed him actually is stoned. Now, we come to this place tonight, and and I am most interested in learning from history, knowing the history of the book of Acts, and listening to the same Holy Spirit that we're going to study and learn and, and learn all about how God did things after the church was persecuted and scattered, and what happened? Because we're living in days, right? We're living in days of uncertainty. Uh, I believe that the prophecy in Scripture related to, uh, well, let's take a couple of specific things that the Holy Spirit said. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times there will be a falling away from the faith. Paul writes that to Timothy years ago. And then the, the Bible specifically says that perilous times are coming. The comparison that Jesus gives unto us who follow him written in the scripture concerning this, when asked, what is the sign of your coming and when's the end of the age? Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Those three places all address Jesus talking concerning the end of the age. Well, remember the apostles' perspective at that time. Jesus, are you now going to set up your kingdom? Is, Is it now? And what do we now know? Not yet. And what do we know today? Is is now when Jesus is going to set up his kingdom? Well, so far we know, not yet. But it could be any day now. Now, when Jesus sets up his kingdom, you have one clear decision to make about the word of God. Does it mean what it says and says what it means? Now, my English was probably all hacked up there, so you're like, does it mean, does the word of God mean what it says? And I come down to this, this is where we draw this out. Now, I'm going to do something tonight. In view of that, find your way to Revelation chapter 3. Now, I have a particular viewpoint in teaching the book of Revelation now some 8 to 10 times concerning the promise unto the servants that this word, this book of Revelation was given unto the servants to show, really, if you, will, if you, if you hear it, will show you the things that will shortly come to pass. And it was written almost 2,000 years ago, well, 1900. Now, as I say that, Revelation 3, 7, and you wonder, where are we at? Because people ask these things, and I also listen to people. I want to know that the person I'm talking to, where do they have a grasp and a handle on where do we really believe we're at now as we wait for the Lord to come back? Where do we really fit in with Bible prophecy? And again, I'm going to show you this because Bible prophecy speaks of a time yet to come When the church is raptured out of this world, caught away, right? Jesus is going to come and meet the church in the air. Well, let me say that. He's going to come in the clouds. We're going to meet him in the air. That's the better way to say it. We're caught up. Those who are alive and remain. Now, those that have died in Christ are already with him. If you read it carefully, it says that those saints are with him and those that are alive and remain are caught up to meet him in the air. Now, did I just make that up? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But as it relates to Revelation 3, here's where I believe we're at. I believe we're in the last section of Revelation, the letter to the church. If you take all of chapter 3, you have the first, the letter to the dead church of Sardis. You have the letter to the faithful church of Philadelphia. You have the letter that Jesus gave to the lukewarm church, spit you out of my mouth. You've blended, you're not hot and cold anymore Laodicea. now, in describing it this way I, we'll, we'll have fun with this look at verse chapter four verse one, and in Greek it would sound something like this metatauta after these things is the way it comes across in English a door standing open in heaven the first voice, voice which I heard was like a trumpet saying, "Come up here, and I will show, show you the things which must take place after this I believe what the church is waiting to hear is come up here. Now, again, let me say that again so you don't put words in my mouth and say, the Bible doesn't say that. I know that. Okay? Because we don't know what what the Lord says when he meets us in the cloud. We we have the trumpet, the shout, but I, I do believe that what we see in Revelation 4.1 is what we are waiting for next, which is the catching away of the church. And I believe that the revelation of where we're at now, where we at in the book of Revelation, we're in chapter 3. We are in the prophetic time period in which Jesus wrote letters to the church. And look around you. My greatest argument for this is the church is still here. And if you look closely as you you take this all apart, here's where I qualify all this. The beginning of the church is in Acts chapter 2. Right? Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the church. Revelation 3, right up until, okay, Revelation four one, come up here, is the end of the church age. Now, when I say it in this way, of all these churches that you read about that, that are going to be, like the, the type of churches, again, that are there right before the Lord comes, what type of churches are they going to be? Well, the Laodicean church is a mixture of hot and cold. It actually matches quite well, if you will understand, with the apostasy of the church. The Laodicean church actually, in in description, mirrors the prophecy of the falling away that the Holy Spirit told Paul to write to Timothy in his letter. Okay, Now, I want to look at one church tonight. Because what I see in Acts chapter 8, I see a perfect example of the working of the Holy Spirit, even after the church is persecuted and scattered. And I'll I'll be honest, and and the big shots, if I can use that term, they're not involved in the ministry anymore. Because of the scattering, well, they will be involved a little bit, but what I'm getting is, there's a time when, when church is persecuted, that the church is scattered, what do they go forth and do? Well, Look at Revelation 3 7 with me, and we're going to read about Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church of the, uh, excuse me, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. I have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, that's the church today that continues in Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, going forth into all the commands that Jesus continued for us, the church, to be doing right up until the end of their days or right up until the time when they hear, come up here. Faithful Church, Philadelphia. And it says that that there's a prophecy. Again, if you receive it in a in a prophecy sense that Jesus speaking to his church, this church of Philadelphia, yes, there was a literal church of Philadelphia, and it applies through and through for what they were doing in their day. But I also believe when taken in order, these letters to the seven churches actually give the history of the church in advance. I mean, why tuck it in Revelation if it was just letters to the church? You wouldn't put it in the book that reveals the things to come. See, God's not going to confuse us. We confuse us if we receive what God gave and we, and we trust that this revelation of the letters to the church is for the church up until the time when the church is caught away. Now, many today will have all kinds of trouble over the timing of the rapture. Is there a rapture? Is there a kingdom? I have no trouble with that. I just stick with what the Bible says. So I'm not troubled over what's coming in regard to the prophecy that really is to be uh, opened up. Verse 9 says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you because you have kept uh, my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. So the revelation that Jesus gives his church, the faithful church, the true church, the spirit-filled church, that those that follow Christ in that way. He says unto them, I will keep you from the hour of trial. Okay. What's that mean? Okay, What's that mean? Hour of trial, I believe, is the tribulation period. Now, do you understand that what's coming upon this Christ-rejecting world is great trouble? Great trouble. Now, what have you learned in the last two years? I've learned this. You can tell me what you learned. I get the microphone. And I tell you what I've learned. I know that the Antichrist, right, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. John wrote that to us in his letters. Here's what I've learned. The Antichrist is not going to wait to get all of his staging in place after the restrainer is taken out of the way. He wants all the things in place so that he can start... Uh, basically hit the ground running, if I can say it that way. He's not going to wait to put these things in place. What are we watching? We're watching all the efforts toward what was revealed in the book of Revelation. Now the church still being here, where are we at? We are somewhere in chapter 3 before chapter 4. The church is not raptured. There's a faithful church who has an open door set before him and look what the church is thinking about. Right? The The idea of being kept from that trouble that's coming upon the earth, Jesus says, behold, I'm coming quickly. I love this about the church that is excited about the coming of the Lord. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. I used to be a part of an organization that called themselves church that I, from a young age, I was afraid of Jesus coming back. And I'm pretty sure it was mostly me because of how I was living my life. But now we see this church is is wanting the Lord to come back. Jesus tells them he's coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more. I'll write in him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I'll write on him a new name. A new city? What's this all about? Well, here we are, In our day, looking at things going on in the world and we think, oh no, things are falling apart or inflation or whatever we might look at or murder or drug, you know, drugs and deaths and abortions. And you, you go right through the list and you think that it looks like Satan's going to overtake the world. Well, the Bible prophesies it's an hour of trial and he only gets, if you will, three and a half years unhindered to do whatever he wants to do. In that first three-and-a-half-year time period, there's two witnesses on the earth that still are there to pronounce all judgments upon those on the earth. Now, if I haven't lost you in the study of the book of Acts, head back to chapter 8. Because if it's true in the beginning for the church, why is it not true in the end? See, is God or not the same yesterday, today, or forever? I believe he's the only immutable one. I mean, I changed my mind 16 times today about something, right? We all change, and we need to change, but the immutability of God is that God cannot lie. In the book of Acts, we come to this study, out of persecution, Saul's consenting to the death of Stephen, a great persecution arose. Now, do you suppose they were wondering if they were in the great tribulation? I don't know, but when... Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and believers are dying. Where do we get the teaching of the rapture? Well, it's because of the misunderstanding of what was going on and how difficult it was in Thessalonica that Paul reminds them this is not the day of the Lord. So I remind you, Acts chapter 8, the persecution that came in the church, you understand Saul is killing Christians. As it's recorded here, They were scattered throughout all the regions of of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, this is the part I'm talking about. He made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now, what's he doing when he's committing them to prison? He's bringing them for to be judged and tried and then put to death. Now, how do I know that? When he gives account in Acts chapter 26, as he is being charged, and when he writes to the church of Galatia, and he writes to the church, he tells them later on, he persecuted the church. And, and this is his relationship with Jesus Christ, as, he's, as he tells the church. This is the beginning of Saul. In Acts chapter 8, we find out that he was persecuting the church. He was killing Christians. And the way that he described himself, he was formerly a blasphemer, a, an injurious man. I mean, this, his conduct in, in, in service of God under Judaism caused him to murder and blaspheme the church of Jesus Christ. And yet it's not the hour of trial. Now, you see how easily something can happen in the world, and the measurement and the question can come, is this a tribulation? And this is where I'm at today, and, and to think of the trouble that's been introduced to the world, and what's coming, and and, and we, have, we have history in advance. And what happened in Acts chapter 8, that the church of Philadelphia, that's wanting the Lord to come back, that wants an open door... and and is desiring, I mean, doesn't want dead works like the church of Sardis, is not interested in all the lukewarm falling away from the faith that's also going on in the church. I mean, you do understand that the Bible is not used in a lot of places that call themselves church. And why I say it this way is we do have, right, an involvement with the Spirit teaching and giving us an understanding and wisdom and going forth to live out what we believe to be true. Is that not what we're all called to do? If you believe something to be true and do not act upon it, what did James say to the church? He, he wrote, he says, if you have faith without works, your faith is dead. He says, some say I'll show you my faith without my works. What does James say? I will show you my faith by my works. Church of Philadelphia, open door, set before him. Acts chapter 8, out of persecution, Saul's killing the church. The church is scattered. Look what they do in verse 4. As the church is scattered, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now there's some unique times in history. And probably the last one that is notable where we could say everybody was preaching the word, you'd have to go back to the Jesus movement in this country. 60s, 70s, 70s early 80s and and mostly on the West Coast, but certainly on the East Coast, different parts where they they, there was this going forth preaching the word. And let's not make a mistake about it. What you read in the book of Acts, as the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers, it's not the signs and wonders. Again, you challenge me in the book of Acts, I'll challenge you. The signs and wonders in the book of Acts are a companion to the teaching and preaching of the word. I want to learn from this, and that, that, that church of Philadelphia. Can we honestly say we're the church of Philadelphia or not? I mean, how do you, I mean, so everybody wants to be the church of Philadelphia. Why is it so dangerous then? Because how would you know if you're really hearing the Spirit of God? You know, let him who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the church. And I left that part, didn't I? But isn't that the issue? Can the church hear the Holy Spirit today? If the Holy Spirit says you're Philadelphia, then what should you be looking for? The coming of the Lord, right? The promise, you you secure that you're kept from what's coming. You understand Bible prophecy. You understand tribu- no, tribulations coming to the world. But you should also be looking for what? That open door. I'm going to say the door's not closed. We still have opportunity and we still pray. You know what Paul wrote to the church? I think it was Galatia and he describes it. I might have the wrong letter. He says he said that God has set before him an open door, and you know what went with that open door that God opened up megas adversaries or great adversaries. you sense adversarial action against the church in the last couple years in the world against i mean what is what is what is Satan going to use to destroy the faith of, of Jesus Christ. He's going to use everything he can, everything political, everything, you, you name it. Now, in the beginning of the book of Acts, when persecution happened, right, there's a letter to one of the churches where, again, I believe it's prophetic, the church is persecuted heavily. Do you understand that from the time frame when Stephen was, was martyred, okay, Saul giving consent, and 10 years later when Herod kills James the Apostle, There's approximately in that time period in the early part of the church some two million followers of Jesus Christ who are then killed following that time of James by the Roman Roman government. Two million. And you don't think that you don't start wondering about these things of is this tribulation? Well, they were scattered, went everywhere preaching the word. Now here's my philosophy and my philosophy of this the church never needs to go under underground into hiding if they are willing to die and suffer for their faith that's a tough one isn't it cuz i think i understand hiding i think i would understand going underground book of acts filled with the holy spirit they're scattered they're they're fleeing i get that what did jesus instruct if they if you are being pursued go away right you can you can leave but the idea, again, think of the church that was then pursued, and then think of the, the confinement of the Eastern Bloc countries after World War II, where they couldn't flee. Now you know why you have an underground church, don't you? They couldn't run away, and they would be killed if they came out into the open. Poland was a horrible place. If you understand, whenever someone would raise their head, any man would rise up to be somebody, the Communist Party would cut him down. You go back there today, and again, you can look at it, and the Catholic Church pretty much in Poland is run by women for the most part. That There's really no men that do anything. And you go all the way back to that persecution of Satan. Now, when we come to this in this study, I simply say this. While we have opportunity, even if persecution arises in our day and we see trouble and the government says this, and then someone says this, Satan's going to use whatever he can, spirit of Antichrist is going to try to get all this to change. I say let Acts chapter 8 be our model. Wherever you go, preach the word right the the idea of we live in a society and a culture here where we're mostly what are we interested in really it's been pretty easy to follow Jesus Christ in this country. It really has. I remember going to Bible camp where they would actually take a day where they would they would treat us as if we were living in Eastern Europe. And they would they would take some to be secret police together with the counselors, and the rest of us would would go into hiding. And we all had code, and we had to secretly pass the code of where we we're going we were gonna gather for a worship service. And you tried to make it pretty pretty interesting. I look back on it's like there's a few things that happened while I was in Bible camp. Like there's some believers there, you know. As much as I can say that like, there were those who were actually aware of the things that were going on in the world and wanted to equip these young, these young people. A- again, and there was this, I-, I was like, I had no idea what this was. Now I look at this and I see in the book of Acts, what I see in Revelation, in the beginning of the church, they were persecuted. In the end, the church is going to be persecuted. And are we going to live for Christ? I love the testimony in Acts 8. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Hey, what do we really have? You know, we. I think many ways we've kind of turned into, in our country, uh, come to church here is really what, what it's been in, in America. You know, and I, I don't quite figure it out, but I know that whenever I'm somewhere and, and I, I watch it repeat over and over, like, oh, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Next question, where do you go to church? And then something that follows right after this, you should come to church here. And yet there's no... Where's this going forth out, like you see in the book of Acts, to go to the unbeliever? Philip goes and preaches Christ to them, right? The multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing the things, excuse me, hearing. So they're hearing the word as he preaches Christ, and then they're seeing the miracles which he did. Now, we have no idea if Philip did a miracle before he was sent out or scattered. Sent out. Oh, what was the command? Go into all the world right? Make disciples of every nation. And where have they gone so far before Acts chapter 8? Nowhere. And you would say, oh, this is a bad thing. How can you say it's a bad thing when now you watch the church fulfill, and then not only fulfill the Great Commission, but the words of Jesus concerning, you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Holy Spirit came upon the church. They didn't go anywhere, and now Philip goes out, and others go out. They're scattered. They're looking for a place to live. They have nothing in Jerusalem. They're being persecuted, and they're going forth. Now, truthfully, honestly, when the church is persecuted, the true church thrives because those that are there are deciding that this is worth everything in my life. I think that's very valuable. If you want to understand Church of Philadelphia, I'll say this. Jesus is everything to that church, the Church of Philadelphia. Everything to them. Now in regard to the Laodicean church, right? Instead of, right? Instead of Jesus being everything to the church, he's on the outside knocking on the door. And we come to the book of Acts, and I see in Philip, and I see what happened in the beginning, and I see the miraculous, mighty working power of God. And I'll just say it this way. I, I'm not trying to replicate the signs and wonders. I believe that when Jesus right continues his greater works in the church and fills his church up with the Holy Spirit, and they have in view Everywhere they go to preach Christ, you will find that the church will be in those situations and will be in those things. And like, and you'll watch it happen As in times past. You come up to things as, as you're out preaching Christ that you find the needs or the, the opposition and you're praying. And that's where the Holy Spirit begins to do these works of Jesus, continuing them in the church. Now, much of the church today says that doesn't go on anymore. I've never seen that. Some will even go as far as say, well, that's not of God. To say all the things of the true working of the spirit in the church. And we read it in history that it happened with Philip. Now, verse seven, unclean spirits, casting out demons, unclean spirits, and they didn't come out quietly. If you thought you could cast out a demon and not be known, uh, the demons did not let it work that way. They come out with a loud voice and they came out and many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And great joy came to that city. Great joy in that city. Yeah. Probably not much more for me to say in regards to that wonderful truth. But I, I simply say, that's that's where we're at. We look forward to say what? I want to just continue in my, my normal ways where, where it's about my church going and I live my life and everything is smooth and happy and everything continues. God will not allow that to continue that way. He will disrupt in order to bring about what he wants to do. In your personal lives, this has happened to me over and over. God has something that He is His will for my life for me to do. And if I'm not getting going on it, you know what He will do? He will dry up where I'm at. He'll squeeze it down. He'll He'll make something uncomfortable. He'll He'll even maybe throw like getting fired from a job or whatever it might be into the whole mix in order to get you out. No, I haven't been fired. This is not some report. But when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to serve him, what is is this table waiter named Philip like the table waiter named Stephen? What have they decided? That they're going to serve their Lord and, and that's what they've decided. And as they serve him and this takes place, that's my thing to us. Let's serve Jesus. With whatever time we have left, Right? And some of you come from great legacy. You have parents who serve Jesus. You have grandparents. Others of you, it's first generation, come into this and say, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to teach my kids to serve Jesus. And, and then you find out about the Holy Spirit, and you read about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and you see the power of God at work. Now, what I like about Acts chapter 8, there's many things, but what I like about it is the clearest understanding of what it meant for those that heard the gospel, right they saw the signs they they heard that and they were saved and they were baptized into Jesus Christ yet the holy spirit had not come upon them so let's let's cover some ground here as we read verse 9 but there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city astonished the people of samaria claiming he was something great now, this man who's there, and they had given him they, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man's the great power of God. And then Philip shows up with the gospel, and Philip shows up in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's casting out demons. Uh, Simon wasn't casting out demons. Whatever he was doing, uh, I think the, the word is he, he bewitched them or he astounded them. Uh, with whatever he was doing, maybe it was some sort of Magic trick, or maybe he did do some things supernaturally; we don't know, but when he saw what was happening with Philip, people were listening to Philip. They heeded him because he had astonished them for his with his sorceries for a long time and look at twelve when they believed Philip as he preached things concerning the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women, were baptized now. Let's be honest, if you go out and you're going to do a miracle tour and you're just going to do signs and wonders and don't preach the gospel, I don't believe it's real. I I Just like if you're just going to go out to do healing services and that's all it's about, but if those that are being healed are being saved or those that are seeing these things are coming and giving glory to God, that's book of Acts type of stuff. And as that's going forth and the miracles are taking place, demons are cast out, you can see that this companionship is... The preaching of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and they're saved and they're baptized, verse verse 12. Simon himself believed. So Simon, who knew what he was doing and the regard he was held in, he knew the real power of God when Philip showed up, and he believed the kingdom. He believed the gospel. And he continued with Philip, front row seat, not the back row people, front row. He didn't want to miss a thing, right? Things happened in the front row. My friend who pastors in in Arizona, the way he says it, he had a woman die in church right in the front row. They went down, laid hands on her, prayed for her, and she revived. I kid you not. That type of front row stuff. I'm not talking where you sit in church to hear the word of God. I'm talking where you're at and the things that happen. Now, that type of stuff where people ask me about being a pastor said the privilege is I get to see God work because of that calling and, and being involved in people's life. What's the privilege of doing this type of stuff? I'm at the place where God is working in people's lives. Now, sometimes the work of God is corrective. Sometimes it is supernatural. Sometimes you're praying. People tell me things in advance before they tell anyone else that I'm praying for them or we're praying together. And there are those things where God is at work. That's the front row seat that Simon now has with Philip, and he's watching this happen. He continued with Philip, amazed concerning the miracles and signs which were done. This is not one event. It's not, a, it's not a tent crusade for the weekend, you know, a revival tent meeting. This is, for whatever time Philip is there preaching the word, this is the continual normal open door, I think Church of Philadelphia, open door to get the gospel into Samaria. What brought it about? The persecution, the scattering. But they were ready to preach Christ. And Philip now has these gifts that we didn't hear about before. A table waiter coming around casting out demons. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he, as, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them, Look at that keyword, they're upon them. So they're, they're believers. The Holy Spirit's in them. At some point, you either have to accept or reject the teaching of Jesus concerning being born from above. Regeneration. He laid it out to Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel. He didn't even know about it yet. But we have no excuse as the church to know and believe and teach that you must, in believing and receiving the gospel, you are born of the Spirit of God. You're born from above. I'll tell you, that's what took place. But now when, when Peter and John heard that they were born of God, they came down and laid hands and prayed that they might receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That word had not fallen upon, right? upon none of them yet. They only baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then 17 says what happened. They laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It does not mean then they got saved. They've already been baptized into Jesus Christ. They've already have received the gospel. What does it mean then? Well, that key word of upon, you look it up, the Greek preposition epi, E-P-I or a p if you pronounce it that way. The Holy Spirit was released upon their lives. The power of the Spirit came upon them. Same thing you heard and, and seen as the Spirit came upon in Acts 2. Now in Acts 8, as they scattered and they preached the gospel, this the power, and Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. Right, Philip, obviously full of the Holy Spirit, doing miracles, signs and wonders, things like that. But even Philip doesn't, again, here seem to, at this point, be the one to lay hands on and have the Holy Spirit come upon him. And so this is the baptism with the Holy Spirit in companionship with, the work of salvation through the preaching of the gospel, and it's very distinct. And so we say things like this, that there is a second experience with the Holy Spirit that we call the baptism with the Holy Spirit that is subsequent to salvation. And we get that out of the book of Acts. We get it out of the history. We believe that when one is born again, that there is another opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit in the way. You don't get more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets more of you. The Holy Spirit's in you and in dwelling, yet the fulfillment is Jesus' words in John 7, 38 and 39. Right? You, the idea that the Spirit was not yet given because Christ was not yet glorified, that rivers of living water would flow from your belly. I believe what we see in Acts is the Holy Spirit comes upon the epi-experience of the Holy Spirit. It is the overflow. It is the abundance. It is the baptism with the Spirit. Second experience, if you will. They're already born again. And when Simon saw it, he's like, so you have the witness of the one who had the front row seat. So you can ask my friend John, and you can say, did she really die? Did this lady die in church service, and you go down, anoint her with oil, and pray for her, and and, and lay hands on her, and did she revive? Well, I'll tell you what the elders said to him the next day. That was really amazing, but don't do that again, because... Oh boy, what would have happened if? And they, but you get the point, right? They all believed and knew that she was. I mean, she was. She was gone. No heartbeat, no breath. And as they prayed, and she revived. What happened in Acts chapter eight? Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, the the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money. I'm telling you that through the laying on of hands, it was very real and powerful that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, again, this is what you see in the book of Acts. Spirit comes upon them, and that that power of God is now available and flows from their lives. Together with the understanding of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which which Paul writes to the church later on. But we have book of Acts. We don't have any development of the teaching of the gifts of the Spirit, do we? We see them. Oh, they're there. We don't get the instruction till later on. There's gifts of healings. There's miracles. And then there's this power of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Again, epi, Holy Spirit come upon them. And they receive the Holy Spirit. And I simply put before you, Simon, who had the front row seat, he's our witness that says what? Can I have that too? Remember, he, he said he was the great power of God. And what's he now encountering? He's encountering something he's never seen before. And so if you thought the laying on of hands by the apostles that nothing really happened, if you want to be one of the... others, no baptism with the Holy Spirit anymore. You don't agree with the Bible. And if you look at it, Simon, who saw all that, he he asks, how much does it cost for me to do that? And it says, he says, give me that power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So what do we see in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers? We see many times... Two prominent gifts of the Spirit in companionship with the initial baptism with the Holy Spirit. And many times we see the gift of tongues and gift of prophecy. But don't think that that's the only way God does things. right? Don't think that that's the evidence. Because again, Paul writing to the Corinthian church later on describes unto them, do all have these gifts of tongues and gifts of healings and miracles? No, not everybody doesn't have these. The Holy Spirit disperses these out as he wills. The baptism with the Holy Spirit many times will come with the, the giving of the gifts. You may receive a gift as you become baptized with the Holy Spirit. Simon saw it. It's real. He wants to buy it. He wants to be like Peter and John to lay hands on him. Peter says, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Think of it. How many have sought to sell salvation, which is a gift of God, and then to sell the power of the Holy Spirit, or to sell gifts of the Spirit. It's not unique to Simon, but you see it in the beginning that he he would have purchased these to keep his standing in what God was now doing. And many times, those that follow his doctrines, his teachings, they do the exact same things. Peter says, your money perish with you. And look at 21, you have neither part or portion in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness and pray that God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. So he sins against the Lord in his thoughts that he, too, can be someone. And what does he want to do? He wants to take the power and gifts of the Spirit of God. He wants to take those things that only God can give, and he wants to have them for himself to to distribute however he wants to do it. And that's he's corrected over it. 23 says, For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many of the villages of the Samaritans. That's where we wrap up tonight. And so what I put before us is this. To know the history of the book of Acts which happened, and you ask yourself, Has God changed? So, I don't believe that that God has changed. I don't believe the Spirit of God has moved away from this. I believe the church has moved away from this. And what we see in happening in that Church of Philadelphia that there is still a part of the church in the days that immediately precede the catching away of the church. That there is a portion of the church in Philadelphia, little strength, right? Not a prominent place, not great influence, like. Philip, a servant, through all the circumstances of life, finds himself scattered in a place he doesn't want to be at. How many people have are in places they don't want to be at? There was a, a family who was coming to church in Fargo for a while. They were driving up from, from Valley City. I saw them again when we did the Valley City outreach. And they say to me, I don't know why we're living in Valley City. I said, I do. Because God brought you here. See, we all have a choice, don't we, of where we live, what are we going to do, Do we need to be baptized with the Spirit? I mean, how many times I'm convincing believers of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and once I can convince them that the Scriptures say that, then I'm convincing them why they need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in order to do what? To walk like Jesus walked. What's Philip doing? What's Stephen doing? They're walking like Jesus walked. What's Peter doing? What's John doing? They're walking like Jesus. Do you mean to tell me without the Holy Spirit, without the cross that we could have lives that that are like Jesus. And my appeal to us, and again, where we need to listen to the Spirit in all the letters to the seven churches, you will find yourself in there individually. You take time. If If you're brave, let the Word of God search you out. Sit down and read Revelation 2 and 3 and say, Lord, will you by the Spirit talk to me? What type of church am I like as an individual? Am I Thyatira? Am I Pergamos? Am I... You know, am I Sardis? Am I Leia? And, and just ask him. Because he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm telling you, Acts chapter 8, early church, their church of Philadelphia. Same same, open door set before Philip, he goes. And you would think from this point forward, we set up a great large ministry in Samaria? No. As it continues, and we'll pick this up next week, an angel of the Lord comes to Philip and says, leave here, and I've got an appointment for you out in the desert. You've got, you got a little one-on-one time. Do not despise when you preach the gospel one-on-one. Many times the Spirit will be more at work when you're talking with a friend, relative, family member, right, neighbor. Maybe you'll even encounter that, that if you're going out and you're preaching Christ to people. And how do you preach Christ? I mean, you, do you really believe he's the Son of God? Do you really believe he's everything? Did Philip have to figure out a way to, how will I enter into this conversation? All he's doing is that there's like, what are you doing here? Well, let me tell you. I'm serving Jesus, right? I'm serving in the way in in Jerusalem. And this guy, one of my good friends was killed. And then others were being taken into prison. So I ran away and I'm here. And I'm going to tell you why I'm here. You know what happens, right? We've neglected this simple truth. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. Everywhere you go. See, without the baptism with the Holy Spirit, what are we witnessing? We're witnessing to the world that that we don't need to have rivers of living water flow from us. Do you know right now in the world, one of the biggest accusations that's true with the church, again upon the church, is that we are not pouring out living water right now. And Jesus hasn't changed. So, what I want to do tonight while we're here, and we just just the last minute, I'm gonna pray. You decide. I'm gonna pray for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never decided for yourself, and maybe tonight's just that first place. I'm reading with Philip, I see this. I need I I I'm saved. I the Spirit of God's within me, but I need the power of God flowing from my life that I can live for Jesus into daily life. That the people that I meet, instead of talking about the weather national ice cream day like I did tonight with you, right? So, I use all those things. Use all those things and then turn the conversation to what you really want to talk about. I want to talk about Jesus. So, Father, we're here tonight, and we ask that we would hear your spirit like the Church of Philadelphia. Lord, we're asking that you would set an open door before us. We know that there will be adversaries, as Paul described, to the churches. Lord, we, need, we know we need the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we're asking for that, that experience of the releasing of the power of God by the Holy Spirit upon our lives through the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We need this. Lord, that you would fill us up to overflowing and that rivers of living water would flow from our lives. We need you. We want to be your church, faithful to the end, keeping your testimony, holding fast our crowns. Lord, we don't want to slip. We don't want to fall away. We don't want to mix hot and cold. We don't want to be the lukewarm church. We don't want you outside, Lord. We want you to fill us up and then flow from our lives that others might be saved. We ask for the power of God to come upon us through the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My first time hearing the Bible being taught and came to this place of what I'm offering to you tonight came for me alone, driving in my 2002... Right, Pontiac Grand Prix, which was used by another employee of Senex Harvest States, but handed over to me because they still wanted me to chase around the country and keep working where I was working when I moved to follow the Lord. I said, okay, I'm driving that car. Uh, it has a CD player. All the teachings I have are on cassette because my brother's been feeding me tapes twice, twice a week. And in the course of listening to those tapes, I come up to the teaching of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I turn my boom box off, and I pull over on a, on a ramp on the side of the road. And right there sitting in that car, the 2002 Grand Prix, I asked I ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there began my thirst and my desire to live Spirit-filled. Now, I was born again back at when I was 17. All that time that had passed, over 10, 12 years. And when I came to that place, and in doing those things, I, I asked, what did I feel? Nothing. But what did I know to be true? As I began to live my life, I had a greater desire to serve the Lord. And then the Lord began to do things in my life. And you know what? The next opportunity came when I was with other believers. I have a choice, right? I can say when the opportunity was was presented to me to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, I simply said that. I need that. It was on the Lake Shetak shore, men's men's, uh, retreat. People were getting water baptized. And the pastor had said at the beginning of the night, we're going to do water baptisms tonight after service. It's in the dark, evening service. And he said, and we're going to have the opportunity for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We wrapped up the water baptisms, and we were going to say goodbye for the night. And I said, wait a minute. I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that does? Right? When that's that place and you see this, look at Philip. Philip's like, I want that power that I, that I see. See, there's something about believing what you read and have in the scriptures to your desire that says what? I didn't want the Holy Spirit at that point. I, you need to understand me. Ten years of backsliding, working through sin and just getting sin out as a Christian. I didn't want the baptism with the Holy Spirit so I could go be somebody. I wanted the baptism with the Holy Spirit so I could follow Jesus in the way that he walked. That's what I'm presenting to you tonight. So may the Lord bless you. May you be filled up to the fullness of God. What part of God don't you want? I want everything. And if the Spirit is willing to fill a vessel as as defiled as mine previously, being born again, washed clean by the blood of Jesus, and he's willing to fill me and then overflow my life, I say, yes, Lord, I'll serve you. And I need your Holy Spirit to do it. May that be that working in your life too. So God bless you as you go on your way in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You're at liberty because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Right? You're free.